Well, I told the earlier worshipers as it was pouring down rain, I'm sure there's a psalm about the faithful come out in the rain to worship God. And I say the same for you. Thank you for joining us for worship this morning. And I want to extend my words of welcome to those who are visiting. We're so delighted that you have joined us today. Well, summer can be such a great time to pull away from our normal schedules and enjoy a different rhythm, a slightly slower pace. And so no matter how you spend your days, whether you're working or retired, whether you have just graduated from high school and are preparing for college, whether you are a caregiver or a care receiver, or a number of ways, no matter whatever our age and stage and season of life, God has created a need within each of us to take time apart from the demands of our ordinary life and to be still and know that he is God. Earlier this month, my husband Todd and I were privileged to attend a friend's wedding in Victoria, British Columbia, and we were so excited to be there. We weren't going to be there very long. We kept hearing about the gardens, the Brookhart Gardens, and perhaps you've traveled there. And so we took that great advice, and I'm so glad we did, because as we got away and traveled, each part of the garden was more beautiful than the last, and I found myself weeping in joy. In fact, it made me want to know God's word in the Psalms, where the psalmist praises God for his creation over and over. And my favorite picture, I think the tulips are next, but then my favorite picture is this last one. I just felt that song that we just sang was leading a disciple home. That was just so beautiful. Well, as disciples of Jesus, everything we do flows from and is in service to the person and work of Jesus. It's an extraordinary privilege, isn't it, to gather and study God's word and reflect on what is God saying to me and what will I do about it? And each time we gather to worship God and study his word, we're here to help one another encounter Jesus. Last week, Pastor Brian brought the powerful message as an encounter with Jesus in Luke's gospel where Jesus gives the well-known greatest commandment, Rabbi, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response brilliantly sums up all the laws and the prophets. He couldn't be tricked. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And this morning, we will look at another encounter with Jesus found in Matthew's gospel, beginning at chapter 11. So I invite you to join me if you're following along. I have it printed for us on the screens or in your own Bible. If you like the Pew Bible, it's on page 1513. As we prepare to read God's word together, let's pray. Oh, gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are, what you've done, and what you will do. We ask your blessing on our reading of your word, this alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword word. Open the eyes of our heart to hear you 
Give us ears, eyes to see you, and hearts to receive you. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart and our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and our Redeemer. In your name we pray. Amen. Hear now Matthew's Gospel, starting at chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was for your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is God's word. Well, those refreshing words of Jesus at the end of the passage I just read offers an invitation to receive the one thing that you and I most desperately need and long for, and that is genuine rest for our souls. But the more we reflect on Jesus' words and his gracious invitation to come to him, the more astonishing it becomes. You see, the one who has designed your soul and knows everything about you, all of your hopes and dreams, your deepest desires, your deep disappointments, the things that didn't turn out the way you thought they would. He wants to be yoked to you. And this becomes our first point and treasure in this passage, and that is we were made to be in relationship with God. The Lord of the universe, the one who places each star in the sky and sets each planet into motion, longs to be yoked to you. And Jesus says, come to me and receive the promised rest you desire. But rest in today's culture, I don't have to share with you, has become almost elusive. The burdens of the cultural pressures to perform that drive our drivenness has left a weariness on our soul. Our culture has adopted this increasingly insane schedule. There is music in the elevators, music blaring in our restaurants. It seems as if we've taught our culture to avoid rest and quiet. Internal pressures and external pressures to succeed and perform have left that predictable weariness in the eyes of our colleagues and friends as we pass them in the hall at work or in the carpool line as we pick up our children from school. But in response to this, Jesus says, I see your weariness and I know your burdens. Come to me and bring your burdens Don't worry about putting on a brave face first. You may hide it from others, but I know the things no one else knows. The pressures that keep you up in the middle of the night, 
the things that have left weariness in your soul. And you're not equipped to deal with them in your own strength. Don't try. I'm the only one who can give you that deep inner rest you are seeking. Come to me and be my disciple. This gracious invitation that Jesus gives is the call he gives to every disciple. And that's what this is. It's a passage of discipleship. But to help us further understand the kind of relationship Jesus desires and the nature of the rest he offers, Jesus uses this intriguing metaphor when he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now you know a yoke is an agricultural term. It's a harness used on an animal, such as an ox or a mule or a workhorse, and it was used to pull a wagon or a plow. And in Jesus' day, a yoke was attached to a work animal and literally called a beast of burden. And it was common, it is common, to train a younger, inexperienced animal with a stronger, experienced one, yoking them together. And that way, they, the older one can show the younger one how to shoulder the burden and carry the load. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke and learn from me, he is implying that each of us are already yoked to something. Each of us have attached ourselves to something that we believe will give our lives ultimate meaning and purpose and bring the joy and the peace and the contentment that we so desperately seek. And while burdens often start out as blessings, such as work and family and relationships and the gift to care for our material belongings, when we allow them to become our main source of joy and the sole reason for living, Jesus says they become a yoke that will eventually enslave us. When my performance at work becomes the most important thing in my life, when I allow the quality of my work to become the measure of my worth, I become a slave to performance. When I allow other people's expectations to rule and govern my every thought and action, I become a slave to perfection. And in each case, we are yoking ourselves to burdens that were never designed to bring the abundant life and the ultimate joy of Jesus' disciple. When these expectations that we've created become more than we can bear, we crumble under the stress and strain of carrying burdens that Jesus said were never meant for us. But Jesus says, come to me. Presbyterian pastor and author Tim Keller writes in his book, Every Good Endeavor, our tendency is to place our lives within the context of some narrative structure, a story. And if we could get the point of the story wrong, if, for example, we see our lives here mainly about self-fulfillment rather than the extravagant love of God, we'll get all of our life responses wrong, too, 
especially the way we go about our work and our relationships in our family and in our neighborhoods. He says we all adopt a worldview. All of us are living out some mental world story that gives our life meaning. And I think Keller's point is this. We all place our identity in something, and often it's wrapped up in our own sense of accomplishments, our vacation, our vocation, not my vacation, our vocation, our belongings and our relationships. But in each of these scenarios, we work hard to build an image around the things we believe will bring us purpose. When I get that job, I'll finally get the respect I deserve. When he loves me, then I'll finally be worth loving. The Bible calls these things idols because we worship them instead of God. And Jesus says when we are yoked to anything other than him, we are like characters in search of our own story and have attached ourselves to burdens we can't do anything about. But he says, take my yoke and learn from me. Now in this rhythm of rest, of learning to be Jesus' disciple, it's meant to be this continual posture of heart. We don't just come come and say, okay, good, that's it. Come, I'll come to Jesus and I'll give you all my burdens. Thank you very much. He says, no, come and learn from me. And then the metaphor that Jesus paints in that second picture, which is, being yoked to Jesus. So if the first picture was being yoked to burdens not meant for us, the second one is being yoked to Jesus himself. He says, I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now Jesus could have used an infinite number of adjectives to describe himself. He could have said, Take my yoke, I am all-powerful. Take my yoke, I am all-knowing. But he chose humble and hard and gentle. And I think this speaks volumes for who he is and the transformation he seeks in his disciple. You see, the second picture of being yoked to Jesus causes us to realize Instead of placing my identity and my purpose and my worth in something, maybe I'm actually made to place it in someone. And that's what being a disciple of Jesus is all about. He says, I'm the only one who can give you true rest for your souls. Secular author and researcher Dr. Brene Brown travels all over the country sharing the significant research she's done on the human emotions of vulnerability and shame. And after years of study and research, she's concluded that human beings are made for connection. And of course, her findings are expressed magnificently in this passage. And not surprisingly, it was in the process of trying to disprove vulnerability and shame that led her back to church and to Jesus. Jesus' invitation and call to be his disciple meets our deepest 
longing needs for connection. In the opening verses of our passage, we overhear this intimate prayer that Jesus has with the Father. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and on earth, for you have chosen to reveal yourself to those who don't come the wise and the learned, but to come as a little child. And this intimate prayer that Jesus has, well, it teaches us so many things. The point I wish to emphasize is that those who receive rest and the gift of being his disciple come as a child. We don't come to Jesus free and neutral, free of burdens. He says each of us come with a burden of sin. Now in our secular culture, the word repentance has become a shame-based word. And that's a shame. Martin Luther, when he nailed the 95 points of contention or thesis to the castle church door, he said he, he knew the Christian church was not what it should be or could be. And so the very first point of contention was when our Lord and Master said to repent, he called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The call to discipleship is a call, an invitation to learn. The act of repentance, a disciple knows, is the strength and power and the blessing that each of us have by walking with him. The word repent is a military term. It actually just means about face. When I came to Jesus, I was walking this way, but by walking with him, in allowing his word to enter every corner of my heart, I have a teachable heart and I now walk this way. This is what gives me rest. A disciple knows that true rest is with Jesus and comes like a child. Not long ago, I read a story about a father who decided to celebrate the end of a successful school year by taking his six-year-old son, Jacob, to a day in the amusement park. To the father's surprise, there were very few people in the park that day. And so they spent the day riding rides with very little weight, eating food that they shouldn't eat, and really having a great time. And at the end of the very fun day, they realized they had ridden every ride but one. And so just to cap off the day, they decided to get on a ride called the Scrambler. And as the father writes, as they hopped in the seat and the teenager buckled them both in, he kind of began to get a little worried. Soon after the ride started, the father writes, it began whirling and spinning us faster and faster, jerking us around side to side and up and down. I held on to Jacob as hard as I could, afraid he would fly out of his seat. With white knuckles and gritted teeth, I prayed the entire 90 seconds for the ride to end. But I looked over at Jacob, who was smiling and laughing and having a great time. When we got off the ride, Jacob said, that was fun, can we do it again? And the father said under his breath, not a chance. But instead he said he found a nearby park bench and after he caught his breath, he said, Jacob, that ride was really wild. Weren't you scared? 
But with childlike honesty, Jacob looked up and answered, No, Dad, I was with you. Young Jacob, who had found, like Jacob, who'd found joy and contentment with his father, a child of God, knows he is helpless and she is exceedingly confident of her father's love. A.W. Tozer, another American pastor and author, writes, What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. Hmm. A few chapters earlier than ours in Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? Some said, Elijah. Others said, John the Baptist. But then he turned the tables and he said, Who do you say? that I am. And so I ask you this morning, who do you say that he is? To those who live with a critical spirit with themselves and others, have you not heard the voice of the shepherd calling you his beloved? To those who live in constant fear and anxiety, do you not know him as the perfect love who casts out fear? Jesus calls you and invites you to know the gentle, humble Savior who loves you with an everlasting love, who has redeemed you with his life and now wants you as his disciple to be yoked to him. We know in Jesus' day that when someone was a disciple, they didn't just come to a class and learn a body of knowledge, but they lived with their teacher. And so as they learned this wonderful material, they, they actually watched how their, their teacher applied it to his life, and then they imitated him. It was more about character than even the knowledge. In this passage, we see that Jesus wants us to imitate him. Did you see how he opened with a, in that revealing prayer with the Father? He began by praising the Father. That is how a disciple begins, by praising the Father. Finally, Jesus ends this scripture by saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That word easy in Greek is better translated as fits perfectly. The one who has designed your soul who knows every hair on your head, has designed his yoke to fit you. You see, he has plans and purposes for your life. He has planned good works for you in advance. And as you walk with him, and he strips off the layers of you and I that don't look like him, he says, there's a girl I can use. Be my disciple. Come, take my yoke. Learn from me for I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for your souls. Beginning, ending as we've begun, last week, Pastor Brian encouraged us to heed the call of Jesus to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And when you do, when you engage your neighbors, my challenge for you is, what will they see in you? a life that is yoked to the cares of this world? Or will they see the rhythm of rest and renewal that reflects the love of a gentle, humble Savior 
a life that brings true peace and contentment that comes with being yoked to Jesus. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this incredible passage and this astonishing invitation that calls us into a life to be your disciple. Lord, we thank you that your promises for rest for our soul are secure. We are reminded as we think about rest for our soul that you had nowhere to lay your head, that you were a man well acquainted with grief and sorrow so that we could enjoy rest and the abundant life and the peace and the joy and the contentment that comes from living a life yoked to you. In Jesus' unfailing name we pray. Amen.